There's no money in abstinence. Duke Roomley joins us from Sober AF Entertainment. They are on a mission to create safe and sober events that include connection, activity, and community while having a lot of fun. He talks about his own recovery, preparing and protecting his kids from addiction, and Sober AF Entertainment's mission to help shrink the 82,000 deaths per year by accidental overdose. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelley Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. Today we have Duke Rumley with us. He is with Sober AF Entertainment. Yes. And uh, it's fantastic. Duke, thanks for being with us. I'm kind of curious about the work that you do and being able to share that with our audience today. Well, Shelly and Kurt, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be uh, a part of your program. I am super excited to tell you a little bit about Sober AF Entertainment. I'm a guy who's in long-term recovery, which means uh, May 15th of 89 was the last day I took a, uh, any drink or any drug. Um, and that was uh, a big part of that was there was a sober support group inside the Grateful Dead called the Wharf Rats. So I was big into the dead and I'd been to about 15 Grateful Dead shows and I would see these guys. Um, and then that day came, my parents took me to treatment and I, you know, really could not stop drinking or doing drugs on my own and just kind of the idea of life being okay without alcohol was a little more manageable knowing that there was a group of people doing it already at concerts. Now I'm 21 years old at the time. And, um, you know, I had, uh, been kind of failing at life, um, and was ready for a change and that, and having a very supportive family was all really important part of me having this sustained sobriety. Um, so long story short, now it's, uh, 28 years later, so three years ago, my kids are having some issues. We're here in Colorado. My daughter's 20. She was at a concert and needed to take an Uber home. And I was trying to find out what's going on. And, you know, it turns out all the kids she went with had taken ecstasy. So uh, I had been in recovery a long time. I had worked in the recovery field. I knew a lot of people overdosed and died. Um, and it's just a ski slope as far as the, uh, the projection of this, you know, we've gone from like 20,000 a year to 50,000 a year to 72,000 a year and the trailing 12 months right now, the data says it's 82,000 people every single year die in the U S a drug overdose. Um, so just why don't we give these kids some secondary, um, culture besides beer pong. So that was kind of the thinking at that time. So we started this nonprofit um, called Sober AF Entertainment. And you guys know what AF stands for, right? 
I don't. You better tell us what AF stands for. I'm so afraid to ask. It doesn't stand for anything. So it can stand for <laughs> sober and fun entertainment. It can stand for sober alcohol-free entertainment. Um, you know, uh, we needed something to complete our acronym of SAFE. So uh, technically, the AF doesn't stand for anything. But so um, we started doing. I thought that was a really good cover. Up. Thank you. Yes, but. Now I'm not so sure. You sold it so well that AF just doesn't stand for anything. I right. get it. We get it just whatever we want. <laughs> I like that. So, you know, kind of the reality is like the term sober has got such negative ramifications around it. And, uh, you know, it is ridiculous that, you know, uh, 224 kids will overdose and die today. And it's not, you know, the leading news. Um Oh you know, goodness. and it's so preventable. And the majority of these kids are in their 20s and 30s. And it's, a, you know, a generation that has for the first time has got their life expectancy shorter than their parents because of drug overdose. It's that big a number. That's crazy, Duke. And, you know, the a couple things that you said that I, that I want to touch on. One, tell me how old you were when you started drinking. Got it. So uh, I was 16 or 17 years old. Um I'm not exactly sure exactly how old it was when I first started, but I do remember having that magical moment when I drank enough that I had this effect happen where I went from the scared kid to feeling like I was a Notre Dame football player. So I, I'll never forget that day, that time. And then it was a short period of time because then I blacked out. But my brain had gotten rewired by this intense experience that I had with alcohol on that one night at a young age and without realizing it became my passion and my focus and everything, everything would be better if we had, you know, alcohol with us or drugs with us. That was kind of my mentality up until the age of 21 when I, um, you know, was taking a treatment and, um, and got sober. And thank goodness for parents who, you know, who really cared enough to really step in because that sometimes takes a lot of courage because I yes. know it's probably not what you wanted. No. Um, actually, they took me on New Year's Eve and I talked my way out of it. So <laughs> it was uh, May 15th. So it was five months later that they finally were like, enough. You're not talking yourself out of this when you're staying this time. And um and it, it was really important that that last five months of my drinking was really the first time I tried not drinking and realized I couldn't stop drinking. Hmm. That's big. And the other piece that I heard you say is, um, and maybe it was a paradigm shift for you. I know that in my own relationship with my children, certainly they have caused paradigm shifts for me because they won't listen, right? They won't do what I tell them. And I have Ever. to start thinking, what? how do I want my relationship to look like? Because I think I hated my first child. And and I heard you say, you know, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, coming down on them for drinking. But look, they're picking up the phone and calling me and saying, I need a ride. I need an Uber. I need something. And, and that not that exactly what we want them to do? A hundred percent. You know, I kind of grew up in a very kind of strict uh, military background trained dad, you know, and it was this way or the highway. Um, and they were, you know, pretty proactive, middle of five kids. And even though they did all of that, I still became an alcoholic, right? So 
I just did not respond well to it's this way or the highway. Um, but at the same time, like I have a lot of knowledge about drugs and alcohol and, you know, I'm trying to pass this on to, to my kids and they're the highest priority you have. And, um, and just letting them know, like, look, I just want you to wait till you're 21 because at 21, you're less likely to have your brain be rewired. Like I was when I was 17. Um, and you know, neither of my kids need recovery. Neither of my kids, um, have an addiction issue at the moment. You know, they're 19 and 23. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm grateful for that, but they know what to do. I believe if that were to happen, um, you know, one of the coolest things that happened was my daughter came to me and her comment, she, she comes to our sober sections with her sorority sisters. And she said, you know, we've learned, we don't need to pregame everything, you know? And, um, and I was very, you know, I was great to hear that. I mean, what I want to hear is like, you know, we don't want to drink or do drugs and that's not the reality, right? She's 23. She lives in Colorado. Um, and, but for her to say that, you know, they, they kind of looked at this thing and it was like, well, we're going to the sober section. We can't pregame. You know, why do we pregame everything? We don't need to pregame everything. Um, and I just think if we offer them some secondary culture, you know, there's going to be a group who are going to be like sober curious, um, you know, as a, as a father who has a, a 23 year old who, you know, uh, I'm always concerned something's going to happen to her if she gets roofied or is, you know, was overserved too much alcohol. I understand how important, you know, giving these, um, kids, but especially, you know, young women, the opportunity to be in a place that alcohol is not around, um, you know, in that community support, uh, I think they just, they, they know they're, they're safer. <clears throat> My daughter actually calls it the dad zone. Like we know we're safe in the dad zone. And, um, that's pretty cool. I love that. And that they want to come and be with you, right? They want to come to the games or they want to come to the concerts, but they want to find a place where they can really enjoy it and start to think differently about that. Um, that's pretty powerful to be able to send that message. I don't know. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that, that transition in your relationship with your kids. And maybe that happened because you went to treatment and maybe it happened as they got older. But if you were, you know, we, we have people on here who have kids and if you had to give them advice as to how to interact and think about that relationship with their children, what would you tell them? Um, so I've, uh, would, was, was blessed. So I got sober early before my kids were born. And once they were born, you know, I was still going to 12 step meetings. And so I think this discussion of either addiction or alcoholism would, would come up. Um, and I had uh, both kids do this program called the Betty Ford children's program. And we have it, I think it's in Denver, Dallas, and in um, California. And it's just like a, a three-day semi-intensive training of uh, why dad needs to go to meetings and um, what to watch out for for alcohol. So that's between the ages of 7 and 12, because once they're above 12, they're, it's a different group trying to, to speak with. Um, so it, in my case, we did that, you know, farther along. Um, my kids are in school and, you know, I would, you know, jokingly threaten their friends like, you know, I can drug test you with one of your hairs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, if a friend of mine's dad that said that to me and I was getting high, I would not show back up at that guy's house. Right. So, you know, <laughs> just trying to, 
you know, let everyone know that I, this house, we're not afraid to talk about being sober. So uh, my uh, son would have poker nights here. And I would say these are sober AF nights, which means no one's getting high, no one's getting drunk, and no one's getting pregnant. But you can play poker to three in the morning, and I'll buy the pizza, and I'll buy the Red Bull, um, and then kind of let them do their thing. And it was really powerful just to kind of watch this uh, group of kids, you know, 12, uh, 10 kids spend the night, play poker. Um, they would, you know have uh rituals if it was your first time there you got shocked with electric fly swatter you know <laughs> the first kid to go out get shot in the butt with a bb gun um and uh but it was great so i think it was his junior or senior year um he's doing this and he comes running into my bedroom like hey it's okay i'm like what do you mean he's like you didn't hear and i said no so some girl had walked in and said who wants to get high i got weed and the whole group was like, we got to get her out of here. Like, no, 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 you're, you're not going to ruin what we've got, a, you know, a poker base set up here. Um, so it was really cool that, you know, A, all these kids are talking about it, really. Um, that's really important to me. And they kind of appreciated the, the environment here and kind of the cost to keep it was to, was to stay sober. So it um, was really you know, sometimes you do stuff and you don't know why you do it. And then it works out that way. And that was kind of one of those, like God was in the room and, you know, the idea of poker is not probably the most um, sobering or, you know, probably not a lot of parent books, um, but freshman boys don't know how to hang out and talk to each other, you know, especially without alcohol and drugs. But, you know, I have this community based on, you know, kind of hanging out and uh, having fun and playing $5 poker. Uh, was was I think really bonding for his community and then you know me not being afraid just to have this five second conversation everyone knows that this is a sober F house and um, and just leaving it at that so um, you know we don't do a lot of uh, victory laps in parenting um, you know especially at the ages of 19 and 23 where we are not over uh, any um, any goal lines yet, but, uh, so far, uh, I would say that was one of the things that I don't even know if somebody told me to do it or, or how it all played out. I think I was playing poker with buddies in my freshman year or my son's freshman year. I'm kind of watching his community not know or not knowing how to build community. And that was my suggestion. And, um, to his credit, he took me up on it and we had a good, uh, you know, three or four year run of these kids hanging out at the house. That's incredible, Duke. And, and I love the way you set that up, right? I mean, you set them up to succeed or at least educate them and help them think about what they're going to do together differently. Um, and, and you kind of you put that in place. So I, I really love that. That's incredible. I, um, I'm wondering, so talk a little bit about your, you know, the sober AF entertainment. What different environments do you um, do you do you go to like what different places do you do you go to schools obviously you're at games where else do you um integrate right so as a nonprofit, we started off um thinking we're going to create this community by hosting a kind of like a sober um support event so people can kind of charge up their battery 
their sober battery before either a concert or a sporting event. Um, and we would, uh, you know, go to Red Rocks for a concert. We would get the word out to our community. We'd throw up um, some uh, balloons out of the trunk of the car. We would have some food and we'd all go sit together. And that was kind of the concert. Um, and concerts are hard because, um, A, they don't need help selling tickets and B, um, y'all gotta, if there's usually not reserved seats, if it's, you know, non-reserved, y'all gotta go in together, but we did one for a Rockies game. And I would say we sold about 140 tickets in six days for a Rockies game. So to me, like there's really a want, right? We know there's a need, right? There's this insane need that for whatever reason is not being fulfilled out there, but if we can make it cool enough that it's wanted is a big deal. So um, kind of as a newer uh, nonprofit, the first two years, we really stuck to uh, concert venues, music festivals, and sporting events. Um, music festivals were easy. They would give us a tent. They would give us like six or eight um, free uh, day passes. We would, you know, man a kind of a, a recovery support booth and then just use a team and kind of rotate through and you could go out and see a bunch of stuff and then come back and work for two hours. Uh, sporting events were pretty easy because you buy a ticket, we get discounted seats using a nonprofit status. We throw some type of recovery support or sober support event beforehand. Um, but concerts have been tough just trying to figure out. I mean, we all like different music and it's expensive and um, how do you kind of sit together? So we're still in the process of kind of figuring that part out. So we did 64 events in the first two years. So wow. we were busy. We were doing about three a month. And uh, it was a lot of Rockies, Nuggets, Avs, uh, CU football, and then kind of local music festivals in Colorado. And then in 2019, we did a sober college game day tour where we went to the biggest game every week and hosted a sober support uh event beforehand i don't want to use the word tailgate but it was a tailgate so grants don't like tailgates so this is not a grant call so uh, we can use the word tailgate um and we would contact local treatment centers uh, collegiate recovery communities so we did the Penn State at Maryland game and both collegiate recovery communities came to the event. So we had about 40 kids all sit together. Um, we invited local treatment centers and recovery residencies. Um, so we had this big uh, tailgate. And what we've learned is like, you have to have a lot of fun things for them to do because being sober is a little extra awkward. And if you can get kids through the first 10 minutes of that awkwardness, then it's not a big deal. But you got to teach them how to get to that 10 minutes. So you got to have cornhole. You got to have a big screen TV, maybe play wiffle ball, just have some activity to get them engaged. And once they're engaged, they're in, hmm. you know, and I would say that was one of my aha moments is kind of watching this kid come in, you know, and he's a pink mohawk, 24 year old kid who's, you know, staying at a $500 a month, uh, lower cost, sober living. And this kid needs another layer of support and just showing up and just seeing the look in his eyes, like, Oh my God, like we're going to have popsicles and hot dogs and go to a baseball game. Like this is going to be fun. And it's moments like that. You know, if you give people hope that they can have fun in 
not drinking, then the odds of them trying it and staying it longer term, I just think increase, you know, 10x. Wow. Well, and you're not just talking about people in recovery, kids and youth in recovery. You're talking about everybody. I don't know of too many people. I mean, there are a few, but too many people that come into a group and feel comfortable, especially teenagers, right? right. That, you know, that just feel comfortable, like they, they can show up and be themselves. Um, so I can see how this could expand and, and be really in, um, instrumental in helping um, engage kids all across the, you know, the world for that matter. And it's going to be needed now after we've been sequestered at home for the last 12 months. You know, I was out at a, an event I got invited to by Music Cares. And I remember pulling in the parking lot and I'm like, I'm going to know maybe three people at this thing. And my body's telling me like, don't go in, go home. It's nighttime. It's Netflix time. It's not time to go meet new people. And I was like, wow, like this is real. Like I really have some anxiety just walking into this building and, you know, so I think uh, we're all going to have to have some kind of readjustments getting back into um, group activity. So we're hoping we can help in that area. Yeah, we're hoping that that COVID lifts pretty quick because everybody is in need of some face-to-face -face time for sure. This has been challenging for everybody for sure. Well, we've tried to do virtual recovery support. We uh, had three music festivals last summer where we hired uh, artists to play. And then in between the artists, we would um, have a three or five minute interview with different recovery support. So we had, uh, there's a recovery support um, gym athletic group called the Phoenix. Um, there's a we had different like suicide prevention. We had uh, the attorney general speak. We had Miss America 2020 speak. Um, and uh, we ended up having three of these festivals and having a total of 40,000 people watch. So at one point, we yeah, we were the number one station on Twitch for, for about an hour. Um, so we had a lot of eyeballs watching it. And it was more to see a, a cool band that they knew. And it was different fans, I think, of the different artists that we had. But still, we had 40,000 kids hear the word sober. Each each artist had to say, thank you, sober AF entertainment. And they choked on the word, right? You could tell this was not a normal word for them to use. Um, and then, so, but really trying to build community on that, we we kind of failed, right? We got people to watch. And I think maybe that's what we're about. We hopefully motivate people. And this is one of the, the aspects that help them stay sober. Because I think really at the end of the day, one out of 100 people show up to our events. But the 99 who don't show hear about it. And it helps reduce this excuse of I can't have fun sober. Uh, you know, I hear every once in a while, you know, hey, I've heard about your group. And it's usually not our group to hear about something else, especially early on. But there was this flight attendant who said she had heard about us. And she said, I was trying to quit drinking and I couldn't do it because I was afraid that the fun would stop. And my friend emailed me a news article that you had. And, and it just, I think there's a much larger community out there, you know, looking to take a week off or a month off, but still want to have fun. Um, so I think really we're, I mean, there's 23 and a half million people self-reported in some form of recovery from drug addiction or substance abuse. So 
23 and a half million is a big number. You know, there is uh, 40 million kids in college of which half are under the age of 21 that could use a secondary culture. So there's a big enough group out there. There's just no money in abstinence, right? So we're just trying to figure out. Um, so we went from a kind of a treatment center donation model to a grant model. So we've been getting um, some grants. We've been really fortunate with uh, the CDC and the Colorado uh, Department of Public Health and Environment and Caring for Denver um, has given us some uh, some grants over this last 12 months. And uh, one of our grants, the CDC grant, was just extended for another seven years. So we're... Wow. Nice, good work. Really excited about that. Now I'm like, oh, what are we doing for the next seven years? Like, oh my God, this is a, I've never had seven year job security. <laughs> More of the same thing, it sounds like, right? I think that's, that statement is powerful. There's no money in abstinence. And I think it kind of, in, it, it kind of points responsibility towards some of the corporations and entertainment, you know, of, of individuals in that age group. Right. But um, one of the things that I think is cool about your organization, you know, in recovery, you're obviously familiar with connection and the power, you know, that comes from that and community and all that kind of thing. And what's, what's awesome about your organization is that it kind of does that in a way that's not just a support group, right? right. Like your traditional sit in a circle and talk about our feelings in a room which is not going to be appealing to, you know, someone between 16 and 24 who doesn't think they have a problem right. yet, right? So if you can kind of create that connection, right, at an activity, whether you're going to an activity or creating the activity, um, and that creates those relationships, you, you, you've got those icebreakers, right, which help kind of break through that, because that's, it's awkward at that age, but like you said, it's not awkward, any, it's, not, it's not any less awkward later in life, right. right? You're, you're intentionally going to this activity with a plan. You've been invited, you've got an agenda and it's still, there's a level of anxiety, right? Right. That never goes away. Um, and so the, the fact that you've been able to kind of create this formula where you can get people there, it's fun, have a good time where they can, they can shortcut the, I need a substance to help me get to, you know, this perceived connection, right? Where I think, they think, okay, I've got my substance, you know, body armor on. I can go and meet people right. and have fun and have a good time. If we can skip that anxiety to, hey, all you really got to show up, and, and there's an easy icebreaker. We're going to have a good time. You're going to leave with, you know, a couple of friends or at least somebody that, you know, you can smile at in school or whatever. Um, teaches that ability of, hey, I just got to show up. All I got to do is show up, and I don't need to meet everybody. I don't need to be the life of a party. Right. All I got to do is show up. And say hi to one person, and that's enough, right? Because that connection turns into that, you know, stable place and safe place in, in that environment. So that system that you've put together is awesome. And you talked about the the grant and the ongoing. You know, where do you go from here, right? Because to me, you you've got an awesome thing going, and it seems like there would be so much value nationwide, right? So how do you how do you get Sober AF Entertainment nationwide, right? Have you looked at other chapters or, or growing? What's what's the goals, right? What's the future look for, look like for you? Right. Uh, thank you, Kurt. I I uh, so appreciate that. 
really was my daughter kind of pointed out like, look, you, this is not like some self-help group. Like we need an activity. You know? So it's been really helpful having her part of the nonprofit just, you know, I'm 53. I'm, I can tell what it was like getting sober 31 years ago. I really think I know because I go to these music festivals with my kids, but I really don't know what it's like to be a 23-year-old girl or a 19-year-old boy growing up with social media and in this world. So really trying to help them make sure this doesn't feel like group therapy. Um, so secondly, really we're in this 2.0 stage of our nonprofit where we do want to go national. So when we did this, um, college game day tour where we were in USC uh, for football games. And I thought for sure there would be something like us already out there, right? At least on the East Coast or maybe on the West Coast. Um, and shockingly, it's not. Uh, there's stuff that's similar to us, but they just stick to one 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 uh, area. I, I mentioned the Phoenix has a sober gym and um, they've got a, a big grant and they're and I think uh, 25 states. Um, there's another support group that does large music festivals. So they're at about 15 or 20 music festivals. Um, but our goal is to be this national do-it-yourself recovery support movement. So we wanna teach people how to do it and then we outreach for them. So they come to our website and they, you know, we want, so University of Virginia Tech reached out to us and they said we wanted to do one for the uh, Virginia, Virginia Tech game, September 2nd. And we're like, great, we will help promote, or I can't use promote, I can say outreach. You can tell I'm thinking grant terms <laughs> too much. Um, anyways, but we're gonna help them put this on. Um, we've also been contacted by Texas Christian University, TCU, wants to do like a sober rave in the quad before the game and then have a sober section. Um, so we want to use our nonprofit status to really get sober section tickets inside the venue. To me, that's that's really the end goal. We don't want to force this down people's throat because nobody wants to be told this, but we want to be able to offer, you know, it's like a no smoking section 40 years ago, right? It was a crazy idea. We want to have the no whiskey drunk section, right? We don't want people in our section throwing up. So that's what we're looking to to build. And um, maybe it's just having this conscious thought of like, oh, there's a sober section and it's no big deal. What what I've learned yeah. is that there was one at the Rockies and there was one at the Broncos here in Colorado, and they both got rid of it um, because they couldn't manage it. Um, so, you know, I, it's got to be kind of community managed, yeah. right? Like if it's if they have to if they have to post bodyguards around the section, that's not cool. Right. Nobody wants to be in that crowd. Right. But if the crowd is if that area is a group that's like, oh, hey, that's that, that looks fun. But, you know, this is not that crowd. Feel free to go drink right over there or whatever. Then the, the, the community can kind of manage it a little bit. Right. Yeah. The, what you said about those other groups is interesting, too, because college is tricky because the kids cycle through. Right. Right. There's nobody at any of those schools who's staying there from now on. So what I think is interesting about your model is the fact that you have been able to get the grant status and you keep, you know, kind of tiptoeing around words to be careful. That's something that either a college kid or even an adult doesn't know. 
right? They don't understand that part. And so to me, that's part of the model that is valuable because it could be, you know, an administrator or an employee at the school, or it could be an individual in that area, right? In every metropolitan area, there could be an individual who looks at the model that you're doing and says, hey, I'm actually, I like this. I've got kids or I'm in recovery. I'm, I'm invested in the idea. This is actually a job, right? This is the potential for a, hey, I actually, if I, if I'll, if I can follow the grants and I can follow the program that, you know, Sober AF Entertainment has put together, I can be the pillar in the community that stays here, right? right? And you can kind of help create that, you know, outline or, or process. Um, and that becomes kind of a sustainable, long lasting, like I say, pillar in the community. So that's awesome that you've been able to do that. Well, to your point, like the collegiate recovery community really is in trouble. Um, part of the reason why, you know, even if somebody does good and stays sober, you're right, they kind of graduate out and then it's always new. But currently, um, you know, I work closely with the ones here in Colorado and these kids are isolated. Um, they're, they're, they've been on their computers or phone too much. They play video games and they swipe right and date and they don't have epic recovery was the, the verbiage that, uh, the director used with me and that I'm, we're just afraid that, you know, if you don't have kind of this wow recovery, you know, at some point you're going to go back to drinking, you know, and be it just that you don't have kind of those tangible connections to get you through the hard times. So that's what we're trying to like rebuild. Like, look, we're going to help you get some epic recovery and you're going to have an experience and feel a part of um, that will get you through the hard times. If um, if somebody wanted to, like say somebody, we're in Utah, right? If somebody in Utah wanted to connect and, and create an arm or branch of your organization, is that possible? Could they do that? Yes. So, Shelly, thanks. Uh, that's a great question. I should have brought that up earlier. You can go to our website, SoberAFE.com, and click on Become a Volunteer. And we are training ambassadors to be able to be the uh, local representative. So, um, and that will uh, will teach them how to um, set up uh, an event, um, how to invite people, how to use our nonprofit status. Um, typically, we uh, we educate people on uh, recovery coaches or uh, peer support specialists, um, and that is what one of the things that. Uh, um, we try to add, we also, we've given out about 700 drug deactivation kits. So it's a kind of a specialty little bag. You put pills in, you put water in it. It's biodegradable. You don't have to take it to a police department. No one can steal it out of your trash can and you can just put it in the trash. Um, but uh, I mean, kind of the exciting part is uh, I was in Phoenix at uh, a thing called the Recovery Open and I've met with some people who work with the uh, University of Utah. So we're looking to do the Utah versus BYU game, which mm -hmm. is supposed to be the big game. So um, we will meet in person um, in, uh, I think that's Salt Lake, if it's at uh, Utah. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, that's in the works. 
Um, so at the moment, because of COVID, everything is like in the works. Uh, but June 18th, we've got a thousand tickets for the Rockies. We've got Miss America coming. We've got Colorado's attorney general coming. Um, we're going to do this big party uh, five blocks away from the stadium. Um, we're in the works of uh, Country Jam as a music festival in Grand Junction. If you guys like country, I've got four days of country for you. So uh, we're also going to be manning a sober support tent and sober campground. So that'll be, you'll get your quota country over four days at Country uh -huh. Jam. I'm a little cool. bit jealous. I'm just a little bit jealous, dude, because it sounds like you get to have an awful lot of fun working on sobriety. You are on to me. Yes. <laughs> that someone's gotta I guess be the Pied Piper. But yeah, that is really the goal is A, it's gotta be fun and it's gotta be cool and it's gotta be just as over the top as the other tailgates. The last thing um uh, we can do is throw something that, you know, smells lame. And if that's the case, you're doing more damage than good. So, you know, we are really there trying to make it. Um, we, we want it to be so cool that we're fishing people out with beer cans out of their, out of our section. Like, no, I'm sorry, this is the sober section. We know it looks really fun. You're more than welcome to stay if you're sober. And hopefully they'll come back. Um, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we've learned you got to have, you know, a big screen TV if it's a football game or you got to have, um, uh, all different kinds of uh, events for these kids to do at the event. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kudos on their success so far. Hey, I have, I have another question and this is something that, I mean, I think this was relevant maybe years ago. I don't know how much it is now, but sometimes, you know, in 12 step meetings or other environments that um, you have to be really in sobriety, right? You have to be have an addiction in order to participate in those activities it sounds to me like um your group is not exclusive that anybody who wants and chooses to be sober can participate and they don't necessarily have to be in recovery to do that correct 100 percent. this is a all-inclusive group we just ask that you're not high or drunk at the event so um that uh, that's the bar if you can show up sober and if you're on methadone or suboxone or subutex um, or have a vivitrol shot we don't care you're more than welcome to come so if you're using some medically assisted uh, therapy or treatment or recovery you are more than welcome to join um, our movement uh, and if you're not in any form of recovery you're just looking to take a night off or you don't drink and you want to bring kids there's no age group so uh, we're open to any and all and uh we really want to kind of be this, uh, this bridge building communities together. Um, and it's hard to be mad at somebody, you know, eating a chicken wing, watching a football game. So um, <laughs> hopefully we can, you know, bring everyone together that way. That's pretty incredible. And it puts family back in perspective, maybe, right? Because, you know, if you're going to the game to drink and and not be sober, that makes it a little hard to figure out where the kids fit in. And the kids probably have a hard time with that. So I love to hear that that's, you know, that that's part of the move as well is to bring the families back together and, and create that strength. Cause we all need, um, we need a support network regardless of our situation. Right. It's so true that, you know, we can recover together as a family. Right. And, I think it's really important for us to kind of back up our words with our kids. So it has been really 
um, interesting and fun bringing my kids to, to events like this and having them bring their friends and having them kind of figure out what does, you know, being sober mean to them and, and why is that a big deal? And, you know, it's, um, and I just think it's a discussion we're not taught how to have. Yeah, I agree. Well, I know when I come to the games, I'm going to look for you. I'm coming, I'm coming to your games because I like the environment you're creating. It's pretty powerful. Well, it is really wild. It is, um, you know, kind of like the, one of the other aha moments I had is when we did one with CU versus CSU football game, um, I was contacting the athletic department at CU and they called their collegiate recovery community asking about who is the sober F guy. And I felt like I got them in trouble and I was trying to like make amends for that. And they're like, no, like we've been here for 10 years and athletic department never knew we existed. Like you're doing, like they thought we were the only one on the planet. They didn't realize that CSU also had a collegiate recovery community. And um, they were just very appreciative of kind of the amplifier we can be. And, you know, that's what I'm learning is, you know, maybe because of, anonymity or misunderstanding of anonymity um you know we're just not a community that stands up for ourselves very well you know if there's funding cut from like breast cancer awareness you know senators hear about it if there's money cut from drug and alcohol treatment there's usually not a lot of follow-up um so we'll see if we're able to kind of build a little more legislative uh initiative around this um, we did a sober support tailgate at the Super Bowl this year in Tampa, and we had the White House's deputy director of the National Office of Drug Control Council fly down for the event on his own nickel and attend the event and speak at the event. So, um, you know, I think you asked earlier, like, what are we doing kind of nationally and, you know, really trying to figure out is this idea grant fundable on a national level? Um, because if you gave me a little bit of money, we could do a lot of things, right? It, it doesn't take much money to really host um, an, an epic night. You get 50 pieces of chicken for 40 bucks. You get some $6 pizzas. You know, it, we know how to do it uh, pretty inexpensively, let's say. Um, but really, it's all about that kind of communication and how do you get the word out and who are kind of the key leaders in different states. So I would say... 2021 for us is going to be building the army and building kind of the uh, the infrastructure through the website so people can host their own. And you and you mentioned reaching out to the athletic department and I thought that was interesting because the athletic department when it comes to supporting the program and making a dollar go a long way, right? The athletic department benefits from all of that alcohol sales. Right. So they're not on the side of like trying to get rid of that as fast as possible. So when you're talking about, you know, how do you grow and, and extend that outreach? You know, one of the ideas could be pharma. Right. Because big pharma does not exactly have, you know, a spotless reputation right now. And so it could be that Suboxone or Methadone or, you know, some some of the companies that make some of those things that do actually help with recovery could be that it's an opportunity for somebody like that to say, hey, this is this is a place where we can spend nothing of our right. bottom line and have it still go a long way. Right. So it'd be interesting to see where you what you can do with that as you proceed. So um, to your point, yeah, 
no university wants to stick their neck out and say they have a problem with drugs and alcohol. So universities have been difficult to work with, more so than I thought. Um, Colorado State University, where my daughter went to, you know, was not able to support us because they have all these sponsorships with local breweries. And that was kind yeah. of the feedback the uh, kind of the marketing team told me. And I was like, well, I'm glad you're honest, but you do see that half your kids are under the age of 21 and you, you can't support this. This is not anti-drugs and alcohol. This is just secondary culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And the, it's what we're trying to see. There is a bunch of opioid settlement money coming down uh, the track that's going to go through the local attorney generals and then to the county commissioners through different counties. I think that's how it divides up. So I am trying to learn along the way um, where the money goes and what we can do to make ourselves a little more fundable um, to use some of those funds. So ideally it is, you know, education and outreach are the two uh, things they like hearing. So, um, you know, we're very unique that we don't, you know, we don't have a civic center or we don't have a hard building. We're, you know, we're more trying to create an infrastructure so people can do it themselves nationally. So I don't know why I didn't announce this earlier, but earlier this year, we announced Project 72, where we're asking our community to host 72 sober sections at 72 different events this fall to honor the 72,000 people who died of drug overdose in 2019. Cool. That's awesome. So we have maybe eight so far, but it's good. It's a, it's a good start. People are excited. They're just, um, I think a little fearful. That's a, co- that's a COVID situation yeah. though, right? Like there just aren't events. So as, as I think as events pick up this year, that's going to make that a lot easier right. for you. So uh, we've got, I mentioned the Rockies game. Uh, we're looking to do a big event with the Mets on August 31st, which is um, the International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, we're going to be at Virginia Tech uh, October 2nd. Um, we've got 150 tickets for CU versus uh, USC on uh, October 2nd. Um, we're also looking to do the Baylor at uh, TCU game, um, September 25th, Rutgers at Michigan. Um, Penn State is, game is in the works. So we got we got some stuff in the works. Um, I don't know when that Utah-BYU game is, but uh, that's for it's sure. It's early in the season. Good, because I don't want to be there in the winter, I've learned. You only go south in the winter. <laughs> no, it's it's usually nice. That used to be a really cold game, and when they got in different conferences, now it's an early in the year game to fit it in. So that'll be fun. Let's uh, let's connect on that. I'd love to. I'd love to come see the booth and, and the crowd and see what you've got going right on, on and follow up. Bring so, bring a bunch awesome. of people. We'll have a lot of fun. Uh, fantastic. I also love to hear that you're not um, excluding people that are. Um, you know, on medications to help with sobriety. I know that that's been a big stigma in the industry. So I love what you're doing. I love the way you're gathering people and making it inclusive and safe and, you know, incorporating the families into that. So Duke, thank you so much. It's incredible. And, um, and definitely when you come to town, let's connect. That'll be fun. All right. Well, I should know the date. I apologize for not knowing the date off the top of my head, but yes, (laughs) we will see each other. Um, in a completely different world. It won't be on Zoom. 
It'll be at a game. There'll be high energy. Everyone will be sober. Everyone will be having the time of their life. That's our goal. We want to, you know, host the best night of your life sober. That's September 11th. All right. Time time to be determined, but it's September 11th. I can help. I can help with the research. All right. Side there you go. Conversation. So, okay. Awesome. Thanks, Duke. Appreciate it. September 11th. Can't wait.